0: Can we pray in response to what we just sang? Let's pray. Lord, you are our stronghold. You are our refuge. Lord, we can run to you. Lord, what a week many of us have had trying to get kids into school, trying to go to school. Lord, often our lives are a mess. We can struggle. We can feel tired and we can feel down. And yet, Lord, we sing of you as our solid rock and as our refuge in these times. Thank you, Lord. You are good. You are good. And I pray that you will impress that on our hearts this morning, that you are good. Lord, it is so easy to come to this place And feel like I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. And yet Lord we know. That we come and worship you by your grace. We get forgiveness of sin. And we get welcomed in. By you. I pray that we would know the welcome of our Lord this morning. That this is a place for us to be. To hear from you. Speak, Lord. Speak. In your name. Amen. I want to begin by reading God's Word to you. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And as I read these few verses, I want you to see two big problems that God's people had. Judges chapter 2, verse 6 reads this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua... The son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. God's people here have two big problems on their hands. And as I read those verses to you, you might wonder and think it is strange that those verses are there because what those verses tell us is this very fact that Joshua has died it introduces the fact that Joshua has died. And yet, in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it already tells us that Joshua has died. And so you wonder, why is this scripture repeating itself? Well, if you like, what chapter 1 was, was the panoramic view of their sin, of their problem. And the panoramic view of their sin and their problem was all these small compromises that they kept making. And remember what I said last week is that our small compromises are what lead us to big failures. And so we as God's people need to watch out for the small compromises that we make in our lives. So chapter one is kind of the panoramic view of that problem, the small compromises. But what chapter two does is chapter two zooms into that problem. If you like, the way you could put it is this. Chapter one is like the photograph. Chapter two is like the x-ray. Chapter 1 is the photograph that shows us the outward part of the problem. Chapter 2 is the x-ray that shows us what is really going on. And they have two problems on their hands. The first is this. They have lost their leader. And I want you to remember this throughout the book of Judges. It is a really important theme, this idea of leadership. And when God's people lose their leader, what happens to them? Everything crumbles. Everything crumbles. And if you remember how the books of the Bible start, how how does Exodus start? Well, well, Joseph dies and who takes over? Moses takes over. And then how does the book of Joshua dies? Well, start, the book of Joshua starts when when Moses dies and Joshua takes over. And then we as God's people, we come to this book of Judges and we hear that Joshua dies and the expectation is that somebody else is going to take over and somebody is going to lead God's people and nobody steps up that's a big problem for them. Because God's people always need leadership and direction. And if you don't have leadership and direction, what is going to happen? Everything is going to crumble. We in our society, we need leaders everywhere. You need leaders in your home. I've said this before, somebody is leading in your home. It could be the dog, it could be the children, it could be the wife, it could be the husband, but someone is leading the home. Someone is giving direction to your home. You are making the decisions in your home on the basis of how somebody is leading. In your workplace, you're making the decisions on the basis of how somebody is leading that place. And so here they have a problem. It is a leadership problem. You're going to have to forgive me for a second. I'm going to share something with you that I think I've shared before, maybe for some who were in Douglas, but, but a lot of you will um, not remember this. But I want to share with you some leadership statistics. Here's here what they are. I know it sounds boring, but just give me a second because this is very painful for my own heart. So you ready? Here it is. I'm just going to read it out. It won't make sense at the start, but it will. Here, Here is the stats. First, first, second... 1st, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 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 3rd, 1st, 3rd, 3rd, 2nd, 1st, 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 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 1st. And then it changes. 7th, 4th, 5th, 6th, 2nd, 6th, 3rd, 2nd, 6th. What on earth changed? From 1st, 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 1st to 7th, 4th, 5th, 6th. What on earth changed? Alex Ferguson left. That's what changed. My team, Man United, lost their leader. And when they lost their leader, everything changed. It went from first, 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 second, 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 to seventh, sixth, fifth, fourth, whatever. When you don't have a leader, what happens? Everything crumbles. This is their first problem we need a leader. And in this church, we don't primarily need, Christians don't primarily need just the leaders in the church. What, what the church needs is the primary leader is who? The Lord Jesus Christ, because he's head of the church. And let me tell you this, when we lose sight of Jesus, that is when everything is going to crumble. Because every single leader in the Bible, every single prophet, every single priest, every single king, they all fell short, but they all pointed forward to who? The great prophet, the great priest, and the great king, that is Jesus. And he is the leader we are to look to. And when we do not look to the Lord Jesus Christ as our ultimate leader, prophet, priest, and king, everything's going to crumble in this church. And that was their first problem. It was a leadership problem. Their second problem was a knowledge problem. Look at verse 10. It's the key verse in what I read to you. It says this. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And they arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They had a knowledge problem. And their knowledge problem wasn't just a head knowledge problem. I believe they, they could have known the Lord in, in terms of head knowledge, just that kind of knowledge, and they could have known the word Lord's works in terms of head knowledge, but this word, know, is a word of intimacy. They had, they had a, a problem of leadership, and they also had a problem of intimacy, the knowledge of God. Because that word, know, here, is a word in the Hebrew literature for intimacy. It says in Genesis 4-1, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. This word is a language of intimacy. What it was, was it wasn't just that they probably knew head knowledge the Lord. They probably knew of the Lord's work head knowledge wise, but they didn't know it intimately. They didn't know Him properly in relationships. They didn't know what his works meant in terms of his salvation. You know, it is a big problem for us when we don't really know the Lord. You see, every one of us sitting here has a head knowledge of the Lord. That's covered. By virtue of you being here this morning, that head knowledge, that's covered. But that's not what we should be pursuing in this church. I don't want to fill your heads with knowledge. I don't want to do that. If I just do that, if that's all I do, then I'm failing at my job. We want to know the Lord. We want to push into the Lord. How wonderful it is. Yes, it is good to have the room full this morning. That's a good thing. We're glad that it grows. But listen, it may be our hearts beat That our church doesn't grow like this, that our church grows like this. That we don't grow in depth, in breadth, but we grow in depth. That we get to know Him and know Him intimately. That's what we want to press in on. To know Him. That's my question for you. Do you know Him? Not know the songs. Not know how to open up your Bible and the books. Do you know Him? For the children this morning, I would say to you this, and the teenagers, do you actually know him? Don't rely on if it's your parents who know him. Their faith isn't going to stand for you on the final day. Do you know him and intimately know him? That's the challenge for us all, isn't it? What Christian, what Christian doesn't want to know Jesus better? No one here wouldn't want to get a more intimate relationship with him. Can I tell you something? I don't think it's in the fancy stuff in the frills. Do you know what I think it is? In the ordinary, what theologians call the ordinary means of grace. Do you know what they would say to you, the Puritans would say to you? You want to know Jesus better? Go to church. You want to know him intimately better? Sing with his people. You want to know him better break bread with his people fellowship with his people pray and read you want to know him better it's a simple and ordinary means we don't need a smoke machine or lights or fancy chairs or any of that stuff the ordinary things is how we know him because i know in marriage you know Luana might be okay with flowers and all that stuff, all the frills. But honestly, that's not what grows our intimacy. It's not. It's when we sit down and look in each other's eyes and talk. It's when you go for a walk and you're not even looking at each other and you're not even talking, but you're still with each other. It's simple things of intimacy. And that's their problem. It is a leadership problem, and it is a knowledge problem. And when you have those problems, it is going to become an issue for you in your life. And what it ultimately is, that leadership problem and that knowledge problem, you could sum it all up in this. It is a legacy problem. This generation did not know. They were not passing on this kind of passion for the Lord that they should have passed on. And so it was a legacy problem. There wasn't a leadership passed on. There wasn't a true intimacy passed on. And so it was for them a legacy problem. And we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to leave behind? What are we going to leave behind? Not that we would leave money or houses or whatever. I want to leave behind for my children. I want to leave Jesus that's what I want to leave behind. I want to leave behind a passion for him. We prayed for the families up front here. What were we praying for? We were praying for that they would leave behind a legacy, that they would leave behind something for their children. When, when we had Car- Carol up here, that's why I was praying that, that our children would be here, that they would see that and they would say, one day I'm going to go. One day I'm going to go and I'm going to plant Jesus somewhere where he's not been planted before. I don't think this church is going to go down in in the history books. I don't think it. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do believe, I do believe that we can make a difference with the power of the Holy Spirit. As maybe he grows and encourages our children. And one day with tears, parents and this church can say, go we're sending you, we're behind you, go. That's the legacy I want us to leave. For this church, how old are we? We're about a year old. We're about a year old. And we need to think, what are we going to leave behind for the next generation? It may not be us who the Lord uses to impact this town the most. It may not be us. But what the Lord has called us to do is lay a foundation, lay a legacy for the next generation is that going to be us? Is that going to be what we're going to do? And this problem, this legacy problem, this leadership problem, this knowledge problem that they had, led to their pattern in life. This disastrous pattern that you see throughout the book of Judges. And the pattern went something like this. I wanted to bring, do you know, do you know, I I completely forgot as I was singing. I was like, I should have brought it, and I forgot. Do you know those, um, do you know those spinner things that we used to use? The, what are the fidget spinners? Thank you, kids. <laughs> Always helpful. Well, helpful this Sunday, not last Sunday. Um, you can ask later. Um, the fidget spinners, you know, you'd spin them around, right? They kind of go around and around, and they're like a cycle, and you might have like, like um, three prongs on it, you know? I want you to imagine that we have a four-pronged one, right? And then I'm spinning it around here. It would have been a lot better if I was spinning it around, but just imagine, okay? Go with me. The budget's tight. (laughs) And so you're spinning it around. And so one of those prongs, imagine it's this, sin. So this was the big issue for God's people. It It was sin. And then after that, for God's people, it was suffering, a consequence of their sin. So a sin, suffering it was a consequence of their sin. Then after that, there was sadness. Sadness because of the consequence of their sin. And then finally in the pattern, finally in the pattern was salvation. So what you've got in this kind of circle cycle that's going on for God's people is sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. And it goes around and around and around like that for God's people. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. All because of what? The two problems. The leadership problem and the knowledge problem. And this cycle continues right the way throughout the book of Judges. You are going to hear that again and again. And what chapter 2 does for us is it zooms in and shows us, here's the cycle that's going to happen. Because God's people did not know Him, they're going to get trapped in this cycle. And it begins with sin. Look at verse 11. It says this. I'm not going to read every verse, by the way, because obviously we're covering a lot this morning. But, but look at this. It starts with sin. Here's, because of those problems, here's the first issue in their cycle, sin. Verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served ba- Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went, went after other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served Baals and the Ashtoreth. That was their sin problem. What do they do? Sum it up in one word. They abandoned the Lord. They abandoned the Lord, and they chased after the Baals and the Ashtoreth. They chased after this false worship. Do you know what they ran after? They ran after their idols. That's what they ran after. This is why God didn't want them to live amongst the people. And this, this kind of sin, it's no like white sin, this idol worship that they had. It's not like like a white lie or anything like that. It's actually what you had was, was, was Baal and Ashtaroth. And they were Baal was like the god of fertility and the storm god. And Asherah, she was the, the goddess of love and war. And they would, would come together in this cosmic relationship and they would provide fertility and rain to the land. That's, that's what would happen. But in order for that to happen, in order for them to appease that God, God and goddess relationship, small g's, God and goddess relationship, what the men needed to do was, was go up and be with the prostitutes in the temple. And that would, that would instill and help the gods produce f- fertility for the land. This was the kind of idol worship that they were involved in. It was sin. And because of their sin, the consequence was suffering. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. That was the consequences for their sin. Because they ran after the false gods in Canaan, do you know what the Lord did? He gave them over to the hands of the people of Canaan who persecuted them and plundered them. See, this is what God does in his punishment sometimes. If you want it, he gives it to you. He leaves you have it. He delivers you over to the consequences of your sin. Sin, suffering. And after this, you are going to hear of sadness and salvation. They kind of come in a, in a package here. It will be summed up best, I suppose, in verse 18. If you look down at verse 18, you can read the rest of the verses if you want later. But verse 18 says this, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. They had sin, they had suffering, and because of their suffering, what were they doing? They were groaning, they were crying out to the Lord, they were sad because of what was happening to them. And what happened? The Lord heard their groaning, the Lord heard their cry, and the Lord sent to them salvation. The Lord sent to them salvation by judges, not the judges that we'd see in a courtroom, but what you'd call deliverers, warriors. He sent them warriors to help deliver them out from their oppression, which means God hears his people's cry sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. And again and again, you are going to see this pattern throughout this book, so I want you to remember it. And you know why that pattern strikes out so vividly into my heart? Because that is the pattern of my life. I was with the youth on Friday night. It was quite cool to be with them, actually. I did enjoy my time with them sat up with them, and I shared with them my testimony. And the reason I love spending time with them is because I remember where I was, and I remember what it was like. And what I shared with them was, was actually quite significant for what we're going through this morning. You see, I knew I was in this cycle. Sin, suffering, sadness. That's what it was for me. Sin, suffering, sadness. I would make stupid mistake after stupid mistake after stupid mistake, and I had nowhere to go. I had no one to rescue me out of that. In front of the school, in front of everybody else, I looked like I had it all together. Us as human beings, we're masters at that. I've got this all together. Everything's good. I'm absolutely fine. We just got to admit we're a mess sometimes, Right? Right? how hard was it getting everybody to school this week, right? Was there a bit of shouting in the home? Of course there was. It's exhausting, tiring. Our lives can be a mess sometimes. I was stuck in this cycle over and over and over again and I had nowhere to go until suddenly at one of the MCC camps I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I knew that was my way out. That's the way out. I'm trying all these other ways. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to get myself better. I'm trying to do better things. And I realized that none of it was working for me. I couldn't break myself out of that cycle. The only way I could break myself out of that cycle was through the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his salvation, he set me free. In amazing grace, what does he say? My chains are gone. Done. He set me free. Now, does that mean Shane Dean's perfect? No. But that means Shane Dean can go to his Savior every single day and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And you know what? He does. He brings this salvation to his people. Maybe some of you are stuck in that cycle this morning. Sin, suffering, sadness, and your life is just going around and around and around and around and around like that. Let me tell you something. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus and ask him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. And what a great salvation he offers. If you ask him, you will not regret it this is the pattern of God's people sin suffering sadness salvation goes around and around and around and around and around and around around again but the pattern of God's people is mirrored by God's own pattern and God's own pattern alongside the pattern of God's people is a pattern that's expressed in two emotions two emotions that we think that's contradictory for God to even have those two emotions. The first emotion that he has alongside sin, suffering, sadness, salvation, the first emotion that we see that God has and that God expresses is that of anger. Verse 14 says, because they were running after the idols." And idol worship. Verse 14 says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and they gave themselves over to plunderers who plundered them. The Lord got angry. And we think, how on earth can that be right? If you're not a Christian this morning and you came in, you're kind of going, well, if you believe in a God who gets angry, I want nothing to do with him do you really want nothing to do with a God who gets angry? I honestly don't think you want nothing to do with Him. Do you know why? If you had a husband and a wife, and that wife decided to run after another man, run after another man, pursue him, and went with him, would you say to that husband, you're not allowed get angry? No, not allowed get angry. In fact, it's unloving of you to get angry if she runs away you would not say that at all. If he didn't get angry, what would you say? He doesn't love her. In fact, the anger here that we have in this scripture is actually an expression of righteous love. The Lord is angry because she is running away. His bride, his people, they are running away and going after false gods and false idols. So, if you don't allow this husband, in this analogy, if you don't allow the husband get angry at that, at that cheating, if you don't allow him get angry, then you've only got two other options left. The husband needs to be delighted about it or indifferent to it. If the husband is delighted about that sin, what do you realize? that husband doesn't love her. That's very strange. He doesn't love her. He's not with her. If the husband is indifferent to that sin, in other words, if he doesn't care about that sin, what are you going to say? He doesn't love her. What's the opposite of love? It's not hate. It's actually indifference when you don't care. The very fact that the Lord is angry shows that He cares and that He loves His people and so the Lord expresses that anger. He expresses that anger through the punishment. We see another expression of this anger through the test. Look at verse 2020. 20. It says this in verse 20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and they said, Because the people have transgressed my covenant and have that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did. So the expression of his anger is that he punishes them. Another expression of his anger is that he tests them. He tests them And you see this test turn over to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced the wars in Canaan. So what the Lord said He was going to do is, In my anger, I'm not going to annihilate my people which they deserve. I'm going to do what I'm going to test my people. He goes on to mention all the nations that he will test them by. And in verse 4, it says this, chapter 3, verse 4, So, uh, so they, were, uh, they were for the testing, this is all the people, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. The Lord said this, In my anger, I won't annihilate my people, In my anger, I am going to test my people. And you say, that is is a, a bad thing for God to do, but God does test His people. And there's two ways that you could look at a test. Tim Mackey talks about it this way. A test could be a trap, or a test could be an opportunity. Listen to me. When I was in secondary school, guess what all my tests were? All my tests were traps that all my teachers set for me. They set the trap, and they're waiting for me, I felt, to fail. As soon as he puts his hand in, he is going, it's going to snap down on him, and he's going to fail. I thought all of my tests were traps. Why were they all traps? Because Shane Dean didn't study. So I thought, everybody is against me. Every test is a trap. I'm going to have to watch out for this, all of this stuff. I was good at sport. I love sport, but every test they would give me was a trap. And then I got into secondary school, or I got into college, and the light bulb turned on. I thought to myself, if I study, it could go well. So I started to study, and then I saw that the tests were not a trap. What were the tests? They were an opportunity for me to show people, ha, I did study this time. It was an opportunity for me to get a bit of paper, It was an opportunity for me to get a job. It was an opportunity for me to provide for my family. Now, not everybody has to take that opportunity. Not everybody has to go down that road. But it changed my whole mindset of these tests. They were opportunities. And so what God did when he tested his people, when God tested Abraham, non-Christians will come in or people who aren't Christians yet will come in and say, that's evil of God to test him. But what God was doing with Abraham and Isaac was God was giving him an opportunity to step in to the fullness of what obedience looked like so that he could look back and say, Yes, I followed the Lord in, in faithfulness. I lived by that opportunity that the Lord provided for me. And so when they were living amongst the people who turned away from God, every single time they went to that people who were turning away from God, each day was an opportunity for them to live in holiness. So my brothers and sisters, you can walk into this world, you can walk into your workplace and you can say, every day is a trap and you're always on the defensive. Or you can say this, every day is an opportunity for me to love the Lord Jesus in holiness, to stand out and shine like a light in this dark world. What an opportunity we have in this place. That's how the Lord expresses His anger. But I want to share with you one more verse in which the Lord, alongside this pattern of sin, suffering, sadness, salvation, there's anger, but the Lord also expresses pity. In verse 18, chapter 2, it says this. At the end of verse 18, chapter 2, and we already looked at this. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. The Lord is righteously angry at sin. But all God's people have to do, all they have to do is groan and He hears them, is moan and He hears their cry. And He will come, And he will bring about salvation for his people. The Lord is moved to pity. The Lord will see you in your distress. If you are thrown away and thrown aside by your sin, and you are groaning at the sin that you have committed, the Lord isn't going to shoo you away. The Lord is going to say, come, come. I will forgive you. I will give you grace upon grace. So in this book of Judges, in a summary way, here's what we're going to see when we see the Judges. You are going to see the Lord's anger. But again and again, you are going to see the Lord's pity and the Lord's grace. Because every time the Lord gives them a deliverer, do you know what the Lord knows? They're going to do it again. And yet He keeps giving salvation. They're going to do it again. And yet he keeps giving grace. They're going to commit it again and sin again and habitually do it again. And yet he gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And it's this never ending fountain. My goodness. I look at my own life and I say, I've done it again. He doesn't want me. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't preach. I shouldn't stand. How could I, how could I do this for him? but He gives me grace upon grace upon grace upon grace when I do not deserve it. You are going to see in the book of Judges a God who relentlessly pursues us in His grace. Charles Spurgeon says this, while we ought to think very greatly of our own sin, we dishonor God If we think our sin is greater than His grace. God's grace is infinitely greater than the greatest of our crimes. Which means this, brothers and sisters, it's kind of crazy to say, it almost feels wrong. You cannot out-sin God's grace. If you come to Him and repent, He will give you His grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you give us. Lord, we see this pattern in our life, sin, suffering, and sadness. Lord, we thank you in your pity, in your mercy, in your grace. You offer salvation to sinners. Lord, you are righteously angry at sin. And yet you show grace. And where we see that is the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help us to remember the cross this morning. In your name, amen.